1: That's ChumbaCasino.com.
2: No purchase necessary, PDW, avoided prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18. Plus.
3: Hello, come on in. Welcome to episode 55. Hey, talking of 55, what do you think was the highest grossing film of 1955? Well, let me just run down the top ten for you. Ready? At ten, a man called Peter. The true life story of Peter Marshall, the chaplain of the United States Senate. Sounds grippy. At nine, blackboard jungle. Social conscience and rock and roll in the classroom. At eight, the seven-year itch the film that made New Yorkers thankful for subway greats. At seven, Not As A Stranger. Olivia de Havilland, Robert Mitchum and Frank Sinatra fall in love throughout their medical careers. At six, Lady and the Tramp. Spaghetti, anyone? At five, Guys and Dolls. Leave the singing to Sinatra, please, Brando. At four, Oklahoma. Exclamation mark. At three, Battle Cry, starring Van Heflin, Tab Hunter, and Raymond Massey, the on and off duty goings on of the Marine Corps. At two, Mr. Roberts, James Cagney, William Powell, Henry Fonda, Jack Lemon,
1: Ward Bond, good heavens.
3: And at number one, The most financially successful film of 1955, beating out competition from some true classics of cinema. What could it be? What could it possibly be? It's... Cinerama Holiday. No, I've never heard of it either. Apparently it's a pretty good film and wonderful to gaze at with its vast cinerama depictions of European landscapes. There's a story of sorts attached too, that of two couples. One travelling through America and one travelling through Europe. Sounds thrilling. If you've seen it, then I'll be surprised. No, I'm kidding. If you've seen it, do let me know as I'm having trouble processing the fact that the most financially successful film of 1955 was not Mr. Roberts or Lady in the Trap, but two couples pointing at things and smiling. This program is brought to you by the makers of Popsicle, Fudgicle and Creamsicle. Okay, Sickle.
4: Those delicious frozen confections on a stick. Now I have a swell surprise for you the famous winner of the Typical American Boy Contest, has now become Popsicle Pete. And here's a message from him.
2: Hello, everybody. I sure am glad to meet you. And boy, am I glad I was picked to be the Typical American Boy, because now I'm Popsicle Pete. I always wanted to be on the radio, and now I have a chance to tell you about some wonderful presents you can get, free. See, you ought to see them, hundreds of them. You get them just for saving bags from Misty Popsicle, Pudgicle, and Creamsicle. Some gifts. Even better than Christmas. You can get a wristwatch, a movie camera, table tennis, a wallet, a doll. Gee, lots of gifts. Acting lessons. Just save the bags from po- popsicle, crimsicle, and fudgicle on a handy stick. Boy, do they taste good.
4: Wholesome too. And nourishing. Made fresh every day of the finest ingredients.
3: Yes, water and sticks. <laughs>
1: And now, it's time for... Maybe you have a
3: question Well, throw it into the question pot Strangely, there is no next line Well, maybe I'll read your question Out on this show, or maybe not Now, here's someone with a handbell Questions, questions, questions. Yes, it's the question pot. And the first question here is from Vicky Gerard, who writes, I would give all that I own to know when Suki is getting her own segment on
1: Attaboy Clarence. I think that's a very good idea, I do. Yes, it's it's been discussed, hasn't it, Suki? Not really, no. I basically keep asking you, and you basically keep saying no. Well... <laughs> Well, well, if you're getting your own segment,
3: then it has to be something worthwhile. I have ideas. Which are?
1: Sexual health tips. Sexual health. I even thought of a name for it. Which is? Shooky's sexual health tip. Right, right, Um I don't think so. I could improve people's sex lives, no, I could. No, no, I don't. I've read a Jackie Collins novel. No. I haven't really read a Jackie Collins novel. I didn't think you had. I could do a politics segment. I'm good at politics, I am. I would give all that I own for Donald Trump to be the next queen. No, no, thank you. Well, then, how about you let me present the old advertisements? But you, you couldn't really. I mean, Look, I'll show you I can do it, I can. <laughs>
5: Your dog in Get
2: your pet them okay
1: okay I'll stop it there you see this is a funny old ad because the foods called sturdy and it makes dogs sturdy as well so it's very funny if you think about it <laughs> uh, Where's the play one? Sturdy, any dog can be a winner. Some okay, okay. Oh, I have another joke I do. I like the way they rhymed winner with dinner there. I think Oscar Wilde wrote this song. I do. Fresh play. Oh, and then a dog did a bark. <laughs> play dinner, the food <laughs> uh, d- d- and then he barked again yes, yes very good interestingly this food didn't make me sturdy when i ate it oh really no but but it made me turdy oh. it made me turdy for about two hours yes yes very nice okay well
3: i'll think that one over thank you call me yes yes i'll I'll call you. I'll
1: be over here.
3: Thank you. Anyway, another question. This one is from Mike, who says, What is your day job? We need for you to quit so that you can do this full-time. Sigh. In the real world, Mike, I am a chef, which, as anyone who has ever worked in that particular section will know, is an incredibly time-consuming and life-draining occupation indeed. Many, many hours spent either creating perfection and getting no thanks, or being shouted at for having made the most minor of errors, an unforgiving occupation, shall we say, with little in the way of rewards. That is why it is such a pleasure indeed to spend my scant free moments in your company creating these podcasts. As for quitting to do this full-time, nothing would give me greater pleasure, I assure you. Maybe one day, when the patron pledges reach that level. That's the dream, anyway, and it is inching upwards ever so slowly. But until that day, I have a family to support. It's getting there, though, thanks to you wonderful lot. Right, one more plucking from the pot. This one is from Jack Orchard, who asks, In The Secret History of Hollywood, you deal with some pretty unpleasant characters, such as David O. Selznick and Jack Warner. Who is the worst person you have encountered in the history of the Golden Age? And do you think it's possible for anybody to be so awful that their contribution to the history of film doesn't in some way excuse them, i.e. placing Gone with the Wind and Rebecca against David O. Selznick's horrible treatment of his directors? Good question. I would have to say that so far, I think the most wretched individual I've looked into would have to be Jack Warner, and I think his unpleasantness is all the more tragic because of the incredibly supportive upbringing he had. I truly believe that power corrupted him, and as I pointed out during the Bullets and Blood series, his behaviour at times was almost sadistic. In his case, I don't think the films he oversaw excuse his behaviour, no. In Selznick's case, though, I think it's markedly different. I don't think he was overbearing towards those below him, because he liked to be overbearing. I think he was just a visionary who enforced his vision in a rather unpleasant way. Everything he did was so that he could make the best films possible. I don't think he saw his directors as the enemy. But he knew what he wanted and he was like a hellhound when it came to chasing that vision. He was almost too professional. Hyper-professional, if you like. Almost fascistic. But it was always done with the aim of producing a masterpiece. So in his case... I think the result sometimes justified the means. Anyway, thank you for your questions this week. Remember, if you'd like a question answered on this show, send them on in by going to attaboyclarence.com and scrolling down the homepage to the question pot section. Only takes a moment to throw one in, and if you throw hard enough, it does make a clank. So throw your flipping questions into the shiny question pot. You might hear your question next time. So until then, get your thinky cap on. For the question pot. Okay, that's the end. So the first movie to tell you about this week is 1950's The Second Woman, starring Robert Young and Betsy Drake. This was greatly influenced by Hitchcock. There's a lot of Rebecca in this movie a wide-eyed heroine pursuing a brooding master of the house. The house itself plays a huge part in the movie, the central mystery of the man's past and a dead former love that threatens in on the present. Even Florence Bates pops up in a role. If you remember, she played the dragonesque Mrs. Van Hopper in Rebecca. The Hitchcock connection was something that the filmmakers were obviously eager to play up. The tagline emblazoned on the posters for the film proclaim... Not since Spellbound, such a masterpiece of suspense. The poster, incidentally, is very odd. It looks as though Betsy Drake is choking on something and uh, Robert Young is patting her back to try and clear her throat. But he's scowling while he's doing it. Hey, want further proof that they were mimicking Hitchcock with this film? This is the intro to Rebecca.
2: Last night, I dreamt I went to Manderley again. Seemed to me I stood by the iron gate leading to the drive. And for a while, I could not enter, for the way was barred to me. Then, like all dreamers, I was possessed of a sudden the supernatural powers and passed like a spirit through the barrier before me. The drive wound away in front of me, twisting and turning as it had always
6: done. But as I advanced, I was aware that a change had come upon it. Nature had come into her own again, and little by little, had encroached upon the drive with long, tenacious fingers.
3: And this is the intro to The Second Woman.
6: Today I looked upon the cliff where Hilltop stood. I can still see its hanging roofs against the cypress trees. But Hilltop is no more. There is only a scar of jutting rock where once its windows glittered in the California sun. My Aunt Amelia's house still stands next door. I was a welcome guest within its walls, but to me it will always be a house of fear.
3: Mimicking Hitchcock is not a bad thing, I must add. Shoot for the moon, and you'll at least end up with a handful of stars. Always aim high, I say. Anyway, this is the story of Ellen, a young lady who's visiting with her aunt on the California coast. While she's there, she meets and befriends Jeff KoHallen a talented architect who lives in an incredible ultra-modern house that's been built out on the cliffs that overlook the sea. As they get to know each other, Ellen discovers that not only is Jeff nursing a broken heart, having lost his fiancée to a car accident a year previously, but that he also seems to be plagued by a severe case of bad luck.
6: I talked to Major Badger tonight. He can't understand how Shamrock could break his leg in his own stall.
3: Well, he hasn't anything on me. I can't understand it either. Unless it's bad luck.
6: Don't call it luck, Jeff.
3: What would
1: you call it?
6: I'm not sure.
3: A priceless ornament in his home has been mysteriously broken. His horse suddenly shatters its leg, even though it's been safely locked up in its stable, and his dog is poisoned. Jeff! views the event as some kind of curse, but Ellen begins to suspect that a diabolical mind may be behind the attacks, and when they begin to threaten Jeff's life, she decides to look into Jeff's tragic past for clues. So an intriguing premise, and certainly a film that has great ambition. The cast are all likeable enough too. There's a real gallery of high society misfits. You have a love rat and a maiden aunt and a foreboding psychiatrist and a brooding romantic lead and a fresh-faced heroine. Throw them all into dazzling surroundings and add a Hitchcockian plot and you should be onto a winner. The problem is that because it draws so heavily from Hitchcock, you find yourself constantly wishing it was Hitchcock himself who had his hands on the reins. Because although it has an intriguing mystery at its heart, it's simply not tight enough to create that dread, that suspense that Hitchcock managed so effortlessly in his films. It's a 91-minute film and by the hour mark you do unfortunately find yourself drifting off slightly and longing for something a little more crafted than this. I think the director, James V. Kern, should really have studied not just Hitchcock's films but his methods a little more closely. Hitchcock, of course, was famous for plotting each story beat and each shot of his films meticulously before filming them. And while there are a few solid, chilling moments in the second woman, there are far too many baggy minutes. That's not to say that there aren't bright spots, though. The central mystery does have a rather twisty little solution that I very much enjoyed. As I said before, the cast are all fantastic, especially the supporting players such as Morris Karnofsky and Florence Bates. And finally, the setting of the film along the California coast with its pounding waves and that striking house on the cliffs really do imprint themselves on your subconscious. What an
6: amazing house.
3: Don't you like it?
6: Yes, I think I do. It looks as if it had wings. As if it could take off and fly across the sea.
4: That's the effect I was striving for when I built it. You built it? My house.
6: It certainly belongs exactly where it is, doesn't it?
4: Yes, I think a house ought to blend with its environment. If it's built in a valley, it should crouch between trees. If it's on top of a hill, it ought to be part of the sky.
3: When you look back on this film, the house and the sea will definitely be the first things you remember, so kudos there. It's a film that's definitely worth checking out, even if it's just to remind yourself of Alfred Hitchcock's genius and influence. It's a slight shame, though, that it can't stand up on its own merits. On to something a tad more successful, than a dark tale of madness and obsession set among the lamplit streets of Victorian London. This is Gaslight, a British movie based on the play of the same name by Patrick Hamilton, the man who wrote the play Rope, which was eventually filmed by Alfred Hitchcock. The film opens with a particularly horrible murder, An elderly woman sitting alone in her drawing room is strangled to death by an unseen assailant, who then proceeds to throw the old lady's body to the floor and savagely tear apart her house. This is most definitely a killer who is searching for something. Well, through a deft series of shots, we learn that the killer was never caught, and despite the best attempts at reselling the house, it has stood empty since that terrible night some 20 years ago. The house is given new life by the arrival of a young couple, the Mallans, Bella, a wide-eyed English rose, and Paul, her enigmatic European husband.
5: Bella! What are you doing?
2: Nothing, Paul, don't wake up.
5: What are you doing, Bella?
2: thought I heard the Muffin Man.
5: And why didn't you ring for Nancy to
6: find out? thought it would mean two journeys. Ring
5: for Bella. Nancy, Bella.
1: What do you suppose the servants are for?
2: To serve us, I suppose, dear. Nancy, I rang the Muffin Man. Oh, I thought you rang tea, team, I was just bringing it up. Oh, then it's too late for Muffins.
5: Not at all, my dear, not at all.
1: Nancy, spread the cloth, lay the tea things, go down and get the muffins, cook the muffins and bring up the muffins. You see, my dear, it's all quite simple.
3: By all appearances, the Malins are young, happy and in love, but the real picture behind closed doors is very different. For some time, Bella's state of mind has been slowly disintegrating. Objects disappear from around the house and are found hidden away. Paul sees this as evidence of Bella's fracturing sanity, and when she's questioned, she has no memory of having
1: done these things. Picture, it has gone again. Yes. Where have you hidden it this time?
2: I didn't take it. Why should I take it? It's no use to me.
1: Why should you take other things? Pencils? Knives? Hold on. Bella. Where's the picture?
2: I didn't take it, I swear I didn't.
1: Come.
4: Get the picture.
2: I'd know if I touched it. I'd remember. I've been better lately. You've missed
6: nothing. For for days, for two weeks, I've been well. I've had no headaches, no dreams. Why should I take...
3: This eventually leads to friction between the couple and subsequently anger and mistrust. However, we soon learn that Bella is not responsible for the missing objects. The culprit is in fact Paul himself, who seems determined to keep his wife in a perpetual state of uncertainty and fear by hiding objects around the house and then accusing his wife of having done so. But why is he doing this? And what is the connection to the murder that took place in the same house 20 years previously? Well, firstly, let's address the elephant in the room. This film was remade in 1944 by MGM, who cast Ingrid Bergman, Joseph Cotton, and Charles Boyer in the thing. And that version is very well known, not least because it earned Miss Bergman an Academy Award for Best Actress. To be clear, the MGM version is not the version I'm talking about today. I'm talking about the 1940 version, starring Anton Walbrook, and Diana Wynyard, directed by one of Great Britain's most talented directors, Thorold Dickinson. Although MGM's version sticks to the same basic setup, the 1940 British version is a lot more faithful to the play, and crucially, it's not as glamorous as the 1944 version, which actually serves the story very well indeed. This is an incredibly authentic version of Victorian England. You never for one moment suppose that this is a film from 1940. It really does seem as though a window has been opened onto the late 1800s. The decor around the house, the hairstyles of every single character, small or large. The dust and the hay on the streets. The foggy light from the gas lamps that line the roads at night. Every small detail has been carefully considered and perfected. It's an incredible achievement. For some reason, the Ingrid Bergman version feels a little artificial at times. Perhaps it's the presence of such legendary stars that hamper the illusion. Well, for whatever reason, the facade never seems to ring as true as the British 1940 version. The director here, Thorold Dickinson, does such an amazing job on the film. His choice of camera angles and use of close-ups during the more intense moments really adds to the claustrophobia of this gut-wrenching situation. He only directed a handful of films in his career, but each one is infinitely interesting for all kinds of reasons, and what a diverse catalogue it is too. He took on comic murder mystery with The Arsenal Stadium Mystery, psychological drama with Gaslight here, and horror suspense with The Queen of Spades, a film I've told you about in the past. He was actually offered a contract in Hollywood by David O. Selznick as a result of his talents, but turned it down and actually went on to become Britain's first university professor of film. Recently, his work has undergone a massive reappraisal. Martin Scorsese is a huge fan, and he's rightly receiving some long-overdue attention. Anyway, I digress. The man was a genius, and all of his films are definitely worth seeking out. The way that he tells the story through the same methods that Alfred Hitchcock employed, the use of pure cinema, is really something. For instance, the passage of time is very interestingly done here. We see a tree being planted the day after the murder, and it dissolves to a shot of the tree now fully grown. The for sale sign on the house is now shabby and covered in the decay of time. A really simple shot, a few seconds long, but we've been effectively told that two decades have passed and that the house has stood uninhabited since the murder. And then, of course, we head inside with the smiling married couple Paul and Bella, played with nuance and marvellous skill by the always formidable Anton Warbrook and the incredible Diana Wynyard. The depth of talent that's on display between these two is absolutely for the ages. The light moments of frivolity and happiness are suddenly covered in shadow, as the actions of a moment lead to frostiness and silence. And whereas we were seeing affection and laughter a moment ago, a simple word is all it takes to stop them dead, for the cloud of doubt to come between them both, and the smiles are suddenly gone. The mental torture that Paul puts Bella through is almost unbearable to watch and as it continues, the fog of doom that hangs around the rooms of the house grows darker and more malevolent. It's this element of cruelty and torture that remains the most disturbing part of the film.
6: Paul, speak to me. Don't sit there silent, I can't stand it. Hit
2: me, hurt me, do anything, but, Pity's sake, speak to me.
3: Paul's treatment of his wife actually also uncomfortably reflects the stilted Victorian attitudes of men towards women. Bella is not offered help for her supposed crime or any sort of treatment. Instead, she's punished with isolation and humiliated further until every waking moment is lived in anguished distress about what she may or may not have done. And every time she begins to fight against his control or question his word, Paul will find some way to destroy her again using public humiliation and fear until she's a shivering wreck.
6: Paul, how can you torture me like this? And
4: have you not tortured me? You make my life a misery at home, and now you shame me in public. At least let's keep your stealing and pickpocketing and lying to ourselves.
6: I haven't lied to you. I didn't take your watch.
4: What about the brooch? The brooch? The one I asked you to wear tonight. The one that didn't go with your dress.
6: It's upstairs in my room.
4: More lies.
6: It is. It must be. It's only mislaid, Paul.
4: You have feel it away in
5: one
1: of your mad dreams.
6: I have not. If it's gone, someone else has taken it.
1: Someone else. We see about someone
3: else. Amazingly, the play and its subsequent film adaptations gave rise to the term gaslighting, which is even today defined as, and I quote, a party who attempts to convince another party that they are insane by manipulating small elements of their environment and insisting that they're mistaken, remembering things incorrectly or delusional when pointing out these changes. Which roughly translates to, Paul is the ultimate evil screen bastard of all time. But running alongside the mental abuse, the mystery itself, why is Paul mentally torturing his wife, and what does it have to do with the 20-year-old murder that we witness at the film's outset? For a long time, the only thing that links the two plots is the fact that they take place in the same house. But the connections lie much, much deeper. As I say, the cast is great, from the two leads to the retired policeman, played by Frank Pettinger, who suspects Paul of wrongdoing and begins his own investigation. But the real star of the film, it has to be said, is Thorold Dickinson himself, who turns in a wildly stylish and claustrophobic thriller that will live in your mind long after the final curtain. Interestingly, when MGM bought the remake rights, they did so with one rather mean caveat that all prints of the British 1940 version should be collected and destroyed so that it should never be compared to their 1944 version. Well, fortunately, Thorold Dickinson himself kept one copy back for his own private collection, and because he did so, we are still able to enjoy his masterly version all these years later. MGM's version is definitely the more widely known, and it's not a bad film at all, it's definitely glossier. The musical swells are absolutely Hollywood, and the performances are great, but it makes some rather drastic changes to the plot in order to make Joseph Cotton the hero. And it definitely lacks that grittier edge that the British version has in spades. If you've seen the MGM version, then I urge you to search out the British one too, and if you've seen neither, then you're really in for a dark treat. Well, unfortunately, the British version was never adapted for radio. As I said, it was very much suppressed by MGM when they bought the remake rights, but they did allow a radio adaptation of their Ingrid Bergman version for the ever-dependable Lux Radio Theatre in 1947, which is all sorts of fun. So turn your gas lights down until they're barely flickering, and keep an eye on those dark corners of the room. See you afterwards.
7: From the records of Scotland Yard, London, 1885. Name, Alice Alquist. Address, 9 Fountain Square. Cause of death, strangulation by person or persons unknown. After exhaustive investigation, the commissioner reluctantly orders the case closed, pending the possible disclosure of new evidence.
5: It's many years later, and memories of Alice Alquist and Nine Thornton Square are all but forgotten. On the shores of Lake Como in Italy, a young bride and her husband are on the terrace of their villa, gazing enraptured at the beauty of the early morning.
8: I should never waken you, Paula, darling, but it's such a wonderful morning.
2: Thank you for waking me, Gregory. Oh, you know, I was dreaming, dreaming of our life together.
8: How did you see it, Paula?
2: I saw all the places where we'd be together lovely.
8: I was thinking of our life, too. Only I heard it in music. Something alive with happiness, with all the feeling of the early morning.
2: This morning?
8: Yes, with the sun rising, light in your hair as it is now.
2: When will you write it, darling?
8: Oh, someday, when we've settled down. Where? Where would you like?
2: Paris, perhaps? Paris?
8: Mm-hmm. What about home? Or oh, London? How do you feel about London? London? Oh, <laughs> Paula, if you won't laugh, I'd like to tell you something.
2: I won't laugh.
8: <laughs> it's silly, but I was in London once in the winter. A poor and unsuccessful composer. It seemed to me no city in the world could be colder to the homeless or warmer to the ones who had a home. Oh,
2: my darling.
8: <laughs> I used to long for one of those quiet little houses in a square with a woman I should one day come to love. Paula, could we could we settle down in London? Wouldn't have to be a house in a square. Perhaps... Paula, why do you look like that?
2: There is a house in a square. What house? Nine Thornton Square. She left it to me.
8: She? Oh, oh, you mean your aunt, Alice Alquist?
2: Yes, I'd lived with her ever since I was a baby. Then after (laughs) it happened, I came here. I've been in Italy ever since, and that house comes into my dreams sometimes. But I haven't dreamed of it since I've known you. I haven't been afraid since I've known you. Oh,
8: Paula, if it were true, it would make me very happy. It
2: is true. I've found peace in loving you. I could face even that house with you. Oh,
8: no, no, Paula, beloved. I would not ask that of you. Yes,
2: you shall have your wish, darling. We'll go there. There's a lawyer who looked after the estate, a Mr. Mufflin. I'll write him today. You shall have your house, a house in London not a little square. I live just across the square, number 16. Oh, yes. Yeah. How
8: do you do? Uh, Paula, dear, we mustn't keep Mr. Muffin waiting at the door.
2: coming, darling. I'm sorry. Uh, don't tell me you're coming to live here again. Yes, my husband Please, and I... I'll... I'll call on you directly. You're settled. Yes. Goodbye for the present. Bye. Goodbye.
8: Goodbye. I'm so glad we are to be neighbors. I'm sure you'll find everything in the house in order, Mrs. Anton. Uh, well, here are the keys. Now, if there's anything further I can do... You've been most kind. Oh, uh, about your income, Mrs. Anton... Shall we send the monthly draft here or to a bank? To
2: well, where, Gregory... Yes. Well,
8: uh, I would think here, darling, at least temporarily.
2: Send to her here, if you please. Certainly. Just one more matter and then I'll be going. You inquired about servants. Oh, yes. I'll send in a
8: housekeeper tomorrow. She's very capable, but a little hard of hearing. Hard of hearing? Of course, if you'd rather... No, I... no, no, send her in. We can interview her, at least. Her name is Elizabeth Morgan. I'm afraid I haven't yet found a housemate. Oh, please, don't think about it. We're deeply grateful for all you've done. Thank you. And need I say that I hope you'll both be very happy... Good day. Good, Good day. day. <coughs> well,
2: this is our house, Gregory. Shall we go in?
4: How
8: well you remember everything, uh, Paula. Uh, what room is this?
2: The drawing room.
8: Well, come, dear. Aren't you going to show it to me?
2: Will you light the gas, please?
8: Hmm? Oh, the gas. There, that's better. Paula, what a handsome room.
2: Mm, but to to see it like this. All the furniture covered up and so, so quiet. There was always parties in this room and flowers. There uh, Always flowers.
8: Hmm. Those must have been wonderful days.
2: It's so dead in here now. The, the whole place seems to smell of death.
8: I'll open the window. There. All be fresh again in a moment. Oh, what is this, dear? This glass case.
2: Oh, that's where she kept all her little treasures. All the things she collected on her concert tours. She was so proud of them.
8: Glass is broken.
2: It was broken that night. All the things were disarranged, but there was nothing missing. Oh, I know all these by heart. This glove. Oh, oh,
8: be careful, darling. The glass.
2: She wore this glove in Ju- Romeo and Juliet. A command performance in Covent Garden.
8: One little glove.
2: I used to ask her what happened to the other, but she'd only laugh and say she'd given it to a very great admirer. <laughs> she would never tell me who.
8: I wish I could have seen her.
2: You can see her. On the wall. Her portrait. Paula, it's unbelievable. How much you look like her.
8: Only you are still more beautiful.
2: She's painted there as Empress Theodora. That was her greatest role. When she sang it in St. Petersburg, the Tsar came to every performance. It it was here that I found her. That night, here in front of the fire. And her own portrait. Darling. I, I was in bed when something woke me. I came running down the stairs. Frightened as if I already knew what had happened. She had been strangled. Her, her lovely face was all... Oh, I can't... Can't oh, stay Paula, <laughs>
8: Paula, that's all past. It's long ago. You must forget about <laughs> oh,
2: it. Gregory, your arms so strong and safe. Mm-hmm.
8: All those things that remind you so of her, uh, we'll put them away. Yes. We'll make it a new house mm-hmm. with beautiful new things for a beautiful new life.
2: Yes, darling, yes. And then later we'll, we'll have people, people here and parties again. Hmm? Wouldn't you like that?
8: Oh, of course, dear. But later... First, let us have another honeymoon here by ourselves, just for a little
2: while. Yes, I only thought... Now, what
8: do you suppose all this could be stored away?
2: Oh, there is an attic under the roof. Her trunks are there and all her costumes. Well,
8: then, that's where it shall go. And then we'll board it up.
2: Board it up, So you'll never
8: have to see them again. Oh, a piano. This too, Hmm, Fine instrument. The action needs regulating, but the tone is still quite good.
2: That song... Why are you playing that song? Why not? That was her song. It was always her last encore at every concert. She said... It... Oh, look, Gregory, here's an old letter. Letter? I beg of you to see me just once more. I followed you to London. Oh, the date. It was written just two days before she was murdered ten years ago.
8: Where did you find that?
2: It was here among this music, Nancy. It's from someone called Sergius Bauer. Give it to me!
8: Gregory! I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, I didn't mean to snatch it. Just that but term... why
2: should a letter upset you so? It isn't
8: that. I'm upset for you, darling. All these things reminding you of her. Oh, my dearest. Well, you're afraid of anything, there cannot be any real happiness for us. You must forget her. No.
2: Not her, Gregory. Only what happened to her. Of course, darling. Of course.
8: Elizabeth. I'd like to see you, please. Elizabeth. Yes, sir? Elizabeth, you've been with Mrs. Anton and me now for two months. Are you happy here? Oh, indeed, sir. Good. Uh, You've been to market? Yes, Mr. Anton. While you were gone, I've been interviewing a housemaid.
2: Is she hired, sir?
8: Uh, I'm not through talking to her. She's in the kitchen. You may tell her to come in now. Yes, sir. Now, wait a moment. Outside just now, didn't I see you talking to our neighbor, Miss uh, Thwaites?
2: Oh, yes, sir. She seemed so anxious to call here, sir. What did you tell her? You you told me that seeing people is not good for Mrs. Anton.
8: I asked you a question.
2: Of course, sir. I told Miss Thwaites that the mistress hadn't been feeling too well lately, and perhaps she should wait.
8: Thank you, Elizabeth. You may send a girl in now.
2: And uh, might I ask about wages, sir?
8: Sixteen pounds a year. Is that satisfactory? Mm,
2: yes, sir. Um, What about her? Her? Elizabeth, the housekeeper. She looks strict-like. Did you see the way she looked at me?
8: well perhaps it's the dress you're wearing it is a little shall we say loud i hope you're not a flighty girl nancy i
6: don't think so sir do i have to share a room with her
8: no if you prefer you may have a room downstairs now remember your mistress is very particular about everything being correct
2: is she sir
8: oh paula paula dear uh, this is nancy our new housemaid. yes how do you do you may go now nancy very good sir well she seems a nice girl paula
2: Yes, I, um, I'm sure she'll do. Are you ready, dear?
8: Already. Already to have my wife show me a wonderful city of London. Let me to at you. <laughs> You're like a summer's day.
2: Oh, it's because I'm so happy. Do
8: you know what that is? Oh, yes. Three months ago today, we became man and wife. Oh, I have a little present for you, Paula. Here.
2: Oh, Gregory, where did you ever find anything so beautiful?
8: Oh, it's just a cameo brooch that belonged to my mother. And now it belongs to you.
2: Oh, I shall wear it always, always. How sweet of you to give me this. No, oh. What's the matter? The clasp, oh darling, I've broken the clasp.
8: No, I'll have it mended.
2: It just seemed to break off.
8: Your bag. Yes. Here, let me put it in your bag. You might lose it. You mm-hmm. know, you are inclined to lose things, Paula.
2: I am. I didn't realize that.
8: Oh, just, just little things. There now, the brooch is in your bag for safe keeping. Now. You'll remember where it is.
2: Of course I'll remember.
8: (laughs) I was only teasing, darling. (laughs) Now, uh, where shall we go first?
2: Well, I have it all planned. St. Paul's Cathedral, then Buckingham Palace, and then the Tower of London. Are you
8: sure you feel equal to such a schedule?
2: Oh, I feel perfectly well. Really, I do.
8: Oh, you say that because you know how it worries me. Well, just promise you won't overtax your strength. Promise me? Of
2: course I shall.
8: Come, then. We'll take it easy. We must not rush.
2: Do you mind terribly, Gregory, but I just had to get out in the fresh air again. All those horrible things in there in the tower, the torture chambers, the beheading... Are you
8: sure that's why you wanted to leave?
2: Oh, yes. Yes. That young
8: man back there, he nodded to you. Who is he, Paula?
2: Oh, I don't know. He seemed to know me, but I...
8: Do you usually bow to people you don't know?
2: No, I suppose I'd met him somewhere.
8: Are you telling me the truth?
2: Of course. Why should I lie?
8: You smile at him. I wonder why.
2: Oh, I did it without thinking, Gregory. I don't know why I did it.
8: Like the other things...
2: What other things?
8: Oh, nothing, darling. Only I've been noticing you're quite forgetful lately.
2: Forgetful?
8: Well, losing things and... Oh, now, please don't look so concerned, dear. It's nothing. You get too tired and... Yes,
2: that's probably what it is. I get tired. I'm tired now. Gregory, can we go home now? Oh,
8: we still haven't seen the crown jewels. They're in that building up there.
2: They are? How do you know? What did you say? I said, how do you know you haven't been here before?
8: The guide told us inside... Are you becoming suspicious, Paula, as well as absent-minded?
2: No, of course not,
8: Gregory. After we see the jewels, we'll go home. Our jewels are wonderful things, Paula. Yes, a man could sell his soul for jewels and find that he has made not to buy the bargain. Well, you were right, Paula. There's nothing more beautiful than London sunshine. And I had to
2: spoil the day by bringing you home so early.
8: Won't you lie down now mm-hmm. and rest for a while? Yes. Would you like me to stay with you not go out this evening?
2: No, no, you go to your studio as usual. Gregory, can you really compose in that little room you've rented? <laughs>
8: of course. I have a piano. That's all I really need.
2: I wish you'd let me see it sometime.
8: Oh, uh, Paula, uh, you might let me have your brooch so I can have it repaired.
2: Yes, yes, of course. I'll get it for you. Well, I don't understand. This. Mm? What... What's
8: the matter? What?
2: But... Oh, Gregory, I... I can't find it. What? Well, I, it must be here in my bag. I, no, I'll turn everything out just like that. I know it was here. I couldn't have lost it. It must be him. Sure it is. No. No, it's gone. Gregory, it's gone. Oh,
8: Paula. Didn't oh. I tell you? But... How did you come to lose it?
2: I, I must have pulled it out with something. Oh, I'm terribly sorry, Gregory. Please forgive me.
8: Oh, my dear, it's not as serious as that. It was not... No,
2: but your present to me your mother's brooch I I don't remember opening my bag you you did put it there didn't you well,
8: don't you even remember that
2: yes yes of course I do but suddenly I'm beginning not to trust my memory at all oh
8: no, I tell you you're just tired that's all don't worry so Paula don't worry
2: What time is it, Elizabeth? Close to nine o'clock, ma'am. How do you feel? I'm all right. You look fine to me, Mrs. Anton. Uh, Has the master left yet? Yes, ma'am. A little while ago. Please see that he has plenty of coal on the grate in his room, won't you? You already told me, ma'am. When did I tell you? After dinner. Don't you remember? Oh. Oh, oh, yes. Yes. Elizabeth? Yes, ma'am? Did you just turn the gas up in the hall? Why, no, Mrs. Anton. Oh, the light here in the room, it just went down. The, The way it always does when another light is turned up. I didn't touch it. Oh, but this one went down. Oh, perhaps Nancy lit another jet in the kitchen. It couldn't have been her. This is her evening off. Oh, yes, yes, that's right. Good night, Elizabeth. Good night, ma'am. Elizabeth? Yes, ma'am? What's that? That noise. Listen. Noise, ma'am? Yes, can't you hear? It's coming from up there, from the attic. Like footsteps and... Things being moved around. But, ma'am, the attic's all boarded up. But I tell you, I hear something. Elizabeth! My hearing, ma'am, it's not too good, you know. Oh, you hear very well when I speak to you. Yes, ma'am. I've gotten so I can tell from a person's lips what they're saying. It's stopped now. Yes, it's gone. Well, I... You may go, Elizabeth. I'm very sorry. Please, ma'am, is there anything I can do? No, nothing, nothing. Good night. Good night. I hope you rest, ma'am. What is happening to me? I must be ill. I must be...
5: Oh no, 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 no! In the few days that have passed, the sedate little community called Thornton Square has seen a new visitor—a discreet young man with innocent questions but who, for some reason, has avoided the residence of Mr. and Mrs. Gregory Anton. At the moment, the young man is in the office of the superintendent of Scotland Yard.
7: Now, look here, Cameron. The Alquist case is ancient history. What's causing your sudden interest in a murder that happened
4: ten years ago? It's hard to say, sir. It impressed me very much at the time, probably because I'd met Alice Alquist. Oh? I was just a boy. I know it sounds foolish, but I still think she was the most beautiful woman I'd ever seen. Do you wonder why I was startled when I saw that girl last week in London Tower? The girl who might be the twin sister of Alice Alquist 15 years ago? And what does that prove? <laughs> Nothing, I'm afraid. But number 9 Thornton Square is no longer an empty house. The girl's her niece. The house belongs to her. Well, it's just a feeling I have that something peculiar is going on.
7: Because that nosy old maid, Miss Thwaites, because she thinks so. Oh, come now, Cameron.
4: Yes, I'm afraid Miss Thwaites' suspicions are somewhat distorted by her frustrated ambitions to go calling on the Antons. But they've been very careful to avoid visitors. I wonder why. Well,
7: stop wondering. We gave up the case as hopeless. As for the matter of jewels, that was dropped by the order of a most important personage. Jewels? What jewels? Oh, they'd been given to Alice Alquist by, well, by someone very highly placed. Crown jewels of his, well, of another country. They disappeared. That's why she was murdered. Who'd murder a woman for jewels that are far too famous to dispose of? But they've never turned up. No, now run along, Brian. I'm very busy.
4: Yes, sir. sir. Well, thank you, sir. Oh, uh, Williams? Uh,
7: yes, sir.
4: Uh, where's your duty these days, Williams? Still in the East End, sir? How'd you like a more fashionable beat, one that includes Thornton Square? Oh, very much, sir. It also includes a pretty young housemaid named Nancy Frost. She might be susceptible to a policeman's uniform and uh, I need information.
0: Well now, sir. I'll say I say uh...
4: nothing about it. We'll see what can be done.
8: You want coal on the fire, Paula. Why don't you ring for the maid? Oh,
2: I'm sorry, Gregory. I didn't mean to wake you.
8: Oh, well, now that you have interrupted my nap, we may as well be comfortable. Now, please, pull the bell cord.
2: Oh, but it seems so unnecessary. What are servants
8: for, Paula? Answer me. What do you suppose servants are for?
2: To do things to, to serve us, I suppose. Exactly. It's only I think we should consider them a little. Oh, don't be cross with me.
8: I'm not cross with you. Oh. There are a lot of things. You ring, sir. No, you're Mr. Well, my dear, tell Nancy why you rang her for. A
2: little coal on the fire, please, Nancy.
8: Yes. Well, Nancy, tonight is your night out, isn't it?
2: That's right, sir.
8: Whom are you seeing tonight, Nancy? They have changed the policeman on the beat. Is his heart going to be added to the list of those you've broken?
2: I don't know I've broken
8: any, sir. no, ah, no. I'm sure that's not true. That complexion of yours, that's something not quite true, also. Oh, you do it very cleverly. In fact, I'm hoping you'll pass your secret on to your mistress and help her get rid of her pallor.
2: I'm sure I'd be pleased to do anything I can, sir. <clears throat> Gregory, how can you talk to Nancy like that?
8: But, my dear, you're so anxious to regard the serpents as your equals, I thought I would treat her as no one.
2: No wonder that girl despises me the way you encourage her in it.
8: Despises her whole you. manner, the way she looks at me. Looks at you? Paula, you're not imagining things again. You're not, are you?
2: Of course I'm not.
8: Paula, don't turn away. You must have this out. You really think Nancy despises you? Paula?
2: No, Gregory.
8: Well, I'm glad of that. It hurts me when you're ill and fanciful. I beg your pardon? Nancy, have you been there listening to us? Oh,
2: no, sir. Miss Waits is calling. She wants to know if the mistress is at home.
8: Oh, that old busybody again?
2: She has a nephew with her. Mr.
8: Cameron. Uh, tell them Mrs. Anthony is not at home.
2: Gregory, really, she's been oh, so Oh, if bad. you let
8: her in once, you'll always have to have her. And I do not want people all over this house. Well, don't stand there, Nancy. Yes, sir.
2: I would have liked to have seen her.
8: You... But, my dear, I thought you were only trying to be polite. Why didn't you say you really wanted to see her?
2: Why, I... how could I? In front of that girl, like Oh, Paula, I... you
8: must get over this ridiculous fear of the servants. All you had to say was, show her in, Nancy. Well, am I right?
2: Yes, Gregory.
8: You wouldn't have had time to see her anyway. Why not? You'll want to dress. We're going out tonight.
2: We are? Well, you didn't tell me, or have I forgotten?
8: (laughs) Paula, you silly child. Of course you haven't forgotten. Look, theater tickets. A surprise for you. We're going to the theater tonight.
2: (laughs) Oh, Gregory. Oh, wonderful. Oh, my darling. And
8: you thought I was being cruel to you. No,
2: no, you're not cruel.
8: Keeping people away from you. Making you a prisoner.
2: (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry.
8: (laughs) It's been days since I've heard you laugh like this.
2: (laughs) It's been days since I've been so happy. I want to laugh. I want to dance. (laughs) What is it, Gregory?
8: The wall. Something is missing from the wall. Missing? Oh, Paula. Paula, I... I don't want to upset you. If you will put things right when I'm not looking, we'll assume it didn't happen.
2: But, but what?
8: You mean you don't know?
2: No, I, I. I... The little picture's been taken down again. Who took it down? Why?
8: Why indeed? Why was it taken down before, Paula.
2: But I haven't taken it. Why should I, Gregory? I swear. Oh, no! Don't ring for the servants. I must. No, please, please, oh Gregory! Don't shame me before the servants again. When you
8: stop being hysterical. Let must get to the bottom of this once and for all. Things like this cannot... Oh, Elizabeth, uh, come in. Yes, sir? Uh, Elizabeth, do you notice anything missing from this room?
2: Missing? No, I don't think so, sir.
8: Look at the wall. Well?
2: Oh, yes. The little picture.
8: Did you take it away?
2: Oh, no, sir. Why ever should I?
8: You go to church, don't you, Elizabeth? Why, yes, sir. Please hand me my Bible there.
2: The Bible? Yes, sir.
8: Thank you. You will kiss this Bible... As a solemn oath that you've been telling us the truth. Thank you, Elizabeth. Now send Nancy in here. Yes.
2: No, Gregory, please, no, no, not that girl. I'll say anything. I'll say that. I did it. I did it, Gregory. Please, I cannot have that girl in here. Please. Hold up,
8: hold up. Please have the goodness to control yourself. <laughs> oh, now you've thrown suspicion on the servants. They must be cleared of it. Now sit down. Did you hear? Sit down. Elizabeth said you Nancy, were... a picture has been removed from the wall there. I want to know if you took it. I ask Nancy to kiss the Bible, Paula, or will you accept her word?
2: Of course I'll accept it.
8: That's all, Nancy. Thank you. It was there this morning,
2: I'm sure. Give me that Bible. Give it to me. I swear on the Bible I didn't take that picture down.
8: Go and look for it. See if you can find it. Perhaps here in the library.
2: We found it in here the last time, didn't we? But I...
8: I think it may be here again.
2: The shell. It's there. On the shelf.
8: So, you knew where it was all the time. No,
2: I didn't, Gregory. I didn't.
8: Paula, I think you'd better go to your room.
2: Then we... We're not going to the theater?
8: Oh, I'm afraid you're far from well enough for the theater, my dear.
2: Gregory, if I took that picture down... If? If I do all these senseless, meaningless things, so meaningless, then I don't know what i do anymore.
8: I know, Paula. That's just the trouble.
2: Then, if that is true, you must be gentle with me. Please, Gregory, please.
8: You better go to your room.
2: What are you going to do?
8: I'm going out to work to try to forget all this.
2: No, please don't leave me now. I get so frightened when you go out night after night.
8: Frightened? You never told me that oh, before. I'm
2: frightened of the house. I hear noises and footsteps. I imagine things. That... The light in my room, the light dims. I'm frightened of myself. No, Gregory, please take me in your arms. Please, please take me in your arms. Good night,
8: Paula. (laughs) I hope to find you much better in the morning.
2: Gregory.
4: Well, Williams, come in.
0: Uh, I just wanted to report, sir. Miss Nancy Frost and I, we're going out this evening. Oh,
4: fine. Any luck this (laughs) afternoon, sir? Not very much, I'm afraid. I persuaded Miss Thwaites to adopt me temporarily as her nephew and go visiting, but the Antons wouldn't see us. Too bad, sir. But meet her I shall. I've just called a friend of mine, Lady Dalroy. She's giving a musical at her home Friday night. She knew Mrs. Antons slightly years ago. She's been kind enough to add her name and her husband's to the list of guests.
2: You're properly ashamed, arriving so late?
4: Covered with remorse, Lady Delroy.
2: Business at Scotland Yard, I suppose. Oh,
4: my lady, not so loud. Tonight I'm just another guest.
2: (laughs) Well, you're in for a disappointment, Brian. A note came late this afternoon. Mr. and Mrs. Anton were unable to accept the invitation.
4: Oh? Oh, I see.
2: She's apparently ill. Very tiresome of her.
4: Did she send the note?
2: No, her husband. Brian, who is this Mr. Anton? What does he do? Where does he come from?
4: I was hoping to find that out tonight.
2: (laughs) Oh, don't look so glum. Come into the music room. Saratsky is going to play for us. You still enjoy the piano, don't you?
4: Brian. Mm Hmm? Oh, sorry. Afraid my mind was miles
8: away. Why are you all dressed up like this?
2: Because I'm going to Lady Dalroy's reception. But I sent a note. Yes, you told me. But I'm quite well enough to go, and I must get out of this house, Gregory.
8: Very well. But I'm afraid you'll have to go alone.
2: If you prefer.
8: Paula, no, no, Paula, wait. I didn't realize this party meant so much to you. I'll change immediately. You didn't really think I would let you go alone, did you?
2: I don't know. Please hurry, then, Gregory.
8: Of course, my dear. I won't be a moment.
2: Price, Mrs. Anton. I'm so glad you could come. Thank you, Lady Dalroy. May I introduce my husband? How do you do?
8: I hope you will forgive all the confusion, Lady Dalroy, but Paula suddenly felt much better, and we were so anxious to attend.
2: But of course. Now, if you'll come in Saratsky's plane, you'll find some seats over over there. Later on, we're serving a little supper. We'll have a nice long talk there. Thank you,
0: Lady Dalroy. <laughs>
2: Wrong? Wrong? You keep turning.
8: No, it's nothing. I I, I thought uh, I saw a man I knew, that's all.
2: Imagine being able to play like that. Yes.
8: Yes, I I heard Siretsky once in... Paula.
2: Yes. Paula. Yes. My watch is gone. No. Gregory, no, I... I I didn't... didn't. What are you doing? Your handbag.
8: please, Please. I can feel it in your handbag. My watch is in your handbag. Open it up. I didn't put it there. Oh, you see? I was right. You
2: took it. I didn't put it there. I swear I didn't put it there. Oh, quiet, please.
8: Paula, you must control yourself. Paula, a <laughs> you scene like this oh in public.
4: <laughs>
8: come, come. We must get out of here immediately. Come along. Come along, Paula. Come. I've tried so hard to keep it within these walls, in our own house. Now, because you would go out tonight, the whole of London knows it. I could only understand what makes you do these crazy, twist of things.
2: Gregory, are you trying to tell me that I'm insane?
8: That's what I'm trying not to tell myself.
2: But that's what you think, isn't it? That's what you've been hinting for months now, ever since...
8: Well, ever since what?
2: Since... since the day I lost your mother's brooch. No, no, before that. The first day in this house when I found that letter? What letter? From that man called Bauer, Sergius Bauer, I remember.
8: Yes, you're right. I can see you still standing there and saying, look, look at this letter, and staring at nothing. What? You had nothing in your hand. Gregory. I was staggered, but I didn't know then how much reason I had to be. What reason? I didn't know then about your mother. What about my mother? Your mother was mad. She died in an asylum when you were a baby. Oh, that's not true. I've been making inquiries. I've talked to the doctor who attended her. Would you like to see him? No. He Describe her symptoms to me. It began with her imagining things noises, footsteps, no. voices. And no. then the voices began no. to speak no. to no. her. And in the end, she died with no mind no, at stop all. Stop it, stop it, no. Now, perhaps you will understand why I cannot let you meet people. Oh. No. Oh, by the way, he must have been rather disappointed that you left Lady Dalroy's home tonight before he could talk to you.
2: Who? Oh. Oh,
8: who? The man. The man who was sitting behind us. You went there only because you knew he was going to be there. But
2: Gregory, who? Who?
8: The same man who bowed to you that day in the tower. Who is he? Someone from the past, perhaps? Some disappointed shooter?
2: I never met him. I have no idea who he is.
8: Why do you lie to me?
2: I never lied to you.
8: No, I'm sorry. I know. You never lied to me. It's worse than lying. you forgot. me. You've forgotten him as you forget everything. Oh, but I'm wrong to try to handle this myself. Paula, we shall have visitors here, and shortly.
2: A doctor.
8: Two. Yes, I believe two is the required number. Good night, Paula. I'm going out.
5: It's a little later, the same night. Gregory has just left, and alone in her room, Paula crouches in terror, staring up at the petals of flame that burn evenly in the chandelier. Then from the attic above, she hears footsteps, and the muffled thud of unknown objects moved by an unknown hand, and the light in her room grows dimmer.
2: I know, ma'am. I thought it went down in here as if... Oh, it's just that the gas comes in pipes, ma'am, and I expect they get more gas in the pipes sometimes than they do at other times. Yes, I suppose that could explain it. Now let me get your shoes off. Elizabeth, do you hear anything? Mrs. Anton? Those sounds, those noises up there. Oh, no. No, ma'am. Like someone moving about. Oh, Elizabeth, listen, please. You know what my hearing is, ma'am. But there just couldn't be anyone up there. The whole floor is boarded up, you know it is, ma'am. Oh. <laughs> I hear it, Elizabeth. I hear it. I hear it. Now, now, there, ma'am. I'll go and get you some nice. Hot... <laughs> no, please don't leave me. Don't leave me. It's me, Mr. Cameron
0: Williams. Williams, well, come in. Sorry to wake you up so early, sir, but. Seems as how you told me to come here to your house, if anything. No, don't apologize. What is it? Well, about two hours ago, I'm on the corner of Thornton Square when suddenly there he is, popping up out of the fog, our friend, Mr. Anton. I can't figure it out, sir. The way he disappears and then reappears, every night.
4: Don't let it amaze you any longer, William. sir? He never leaves Thornton Square. We only thought he did. Number five is an empty house. He turns the corner of Thornton Square, comes back to number five through the alley, goes to the roof, crosses to his own house, and goes in through the attic. But
0: why would a man want...
4: Oh, uh, a... never mind now. What happened last night?
0: Well, I tell you, that man's been up to something. Clothes untidy, cravat all on one side, dirt and dust all over him, even on his face.
4: Had he been in a fight?
0: No, more like he'd been digging in a cellar or something.
4: Oh. Sit down, Williams. I'll stir up some breakfast.
0: Well, I've had my breakfast, sir. In the kitchen, a number nine, as a matter of fact.
4: Oh? How's Nancy?
0: It seems the master's told her her mistress might be going away for a long time.
4: For a long time?
0: What do you think that means?
4: It means I've got to get into that house tonight. But Nancy
0: says he's told her not to let her mistress see anyone.
4: Then you'll have to see to it that Nancy isn't home tonight either.
0: Any little thing I can do for the yard, sir. But how do you know the lady herself will see you?
4: I don't know. Wait. There is a way. Yes, I'm sure she'll see me, Williams.
2: Go away. I can't see anyone. I'm ill. Elizabeth, stop
4: him. I must see you, Mrs. Anton.
2: I couldn't stop him, ma'am. He pushed his way right in. Mrs.
4: Anton, my name is Brian Cameron.
2: You mustn't be here. Go away.
4: Not until I've given you this.
2: A glove. It's a glove.
4: Years ago, Alice Alquist gave me this glove. I was a little boy overcome with admiration. Will you trust me now?
2: She gave it to you. (laughs) The great admirer she used to make such a mystery of, that little boy.
4: Mrs. Anton... Are you planning to leave here?
2: Leave? Oh, I have nowhere to go. Unless my husband sends me away. Is that why you were here, to take me away?
4: Are you as frightened as all that?
2: Uh, I'm sorry, but I... I I can't talk to you. I'm afraid I'm...
4: You're afraid you're going out of your mind? Well, I'm here to prove that you're not. Now, please. Where's your husband now? Where has he gone?
2: He's taken a studio where he can work. At his composing, he says he can't work in this house.
4: Is there anyone else here now except us and Elizabeth?
2: No. Why?
4: Because the gaslight just dimmed a little.
2: You saw that? Of course. Oh, then it really happens. I thought I imagined. It
4: means that someone has turned a light on somewhere oh, in this house.
2: no, no. I've thought that too. But every night I've been all over the house and there's never been another light turned on. Oh, at last I can tell this to someone. Every night when my husband goes out... The
4: gaslight goes down? Yes. And then what?
2: Then I think I hear things. I watch and wait and... And then later the gas goes up again.
4: And he returns?
2: Yes. Quite soon after, always quite soon.
4: These things you hear, what things?
2: Sounds, noises over my room in the attic. What's up there? A whole floor of trunks and furniture, her belongings, my aunt's.
4: Like that sound just then? Is that what you mean?
2: Yes. Yes, but who...
4: Mrs. Anton, you know, don't you? You know who's up there.
2: No. How could he be? Why?
4: Tell me. Has he any weapons in the house?
2: He has a revolver. Where is it? Well, there. I I, I think he has it in his desk there. Uh,
4: Locked. I'll have to force it open. This letter opener will do it. No.
2: No, no, no. You mustn't. Whoever you are, you have no right to. He'll think that I... No, what shall I... What shall I say to Uh, you? You won't
4: have to say anything. Well, a gun case without a gun. Perhaps it's a good thing I...
2: What's the matter? There, in the drawer, the brooch he gave me and the letter. I was right. Letter? Yeah, it was from someone called Sergius Bauer. Bauer? I found it, but my husband said I'd dreamed it, and now it's here. Bauer?
4: There was a Sergius Bauer connected with Alice Alquist, a young pianist who played for her in Prague. Let me see that letter. Handwriting. Yes, yes. Now something else, anything. Anything else he may have written. uh, This, this note. It's addressed to Lady Dalroy. Yes,
2: he said he had to send Lady Dalroy an apology.
4: Look. The handwriting, it's identical, Mrs. Anton. Your husband and Sergius Bower are one and the same.
2: He said there was no letter. He said I was going out of my mind. You're
4: not going out of your mind. You're slowly and systematically being driven out of your mind.
2: But why? Why?
4: Perhaps because you found this letter and knew too much. Or because then he would have control of your property, of this house, and could search in the open instead of in the dark like this. Search?
2: Search for what?
4: For the things for which Alice Alquist was murdered. Her jewels.
2: Well, I have her jewels.
4: There are jewels you didn't know she had. Famous jewels. Jewels for which he was searching that night, ten years ago.
2: No, you're wrong. I know him. He's my husband. I've lived in the same house with him. If if that were true, then from the beginning, there would have been nothing. Nothing real from the beginning.
4: I'm sorry, Mrs. Anton, but you must believe me. Your whole life depends upon what you're going to do now. Don't you see the way everything is... The gas. Gas is brighter again. How long has it been up?
2: I, I don't know.
4: You'd better go to your room, Mrs. Anton.
2: Why? Where are you going?
4: I'll wait for him outside the house. He'll cross the roof to the empty house next door. When he comes out, the servant's entrance in the back, I... I'll be waiting for him. What will you do? You have nothing to worry about, Mrs. Anton. Elizabeth? Yes, sir? Whatever happens tonight, Elizabeth, have her welfare in mind.
2: You can count on me, sir. But what am I going to say to the master when he comes back?
4: He won't come back anymore,
5: Elizabeth.
4: (gasps)
2: Paula? Gregory!
8: What are you doing here, Paula?
2: I was lying down.
8: In the drawing room? Why? I don't know. You don't know? Do you know anything about anything you do?
2: Oh, You startled me. I I didn't hear you come in the door.
8: I didn't come in the door. I came down the stairs. I've been in the attic, Paula.
2: The attic is boarded up. You couldn't have...
8: It's no longer boarded up. I have found what I've been looking for. Did you ever see jewels like these, Paula? Did you?
2: Jewels? Oh, Joe.
8: Do you know what you remind me of as you walk across the room? Like a girl walking in her sleep. But you're not asleep. You're awake. Fully awake. Or you would not have broken open my desk.
2: I didn't open it.
8: Why did you do it, Paula?
2: I didn't. It was he. He opened
8: it. He? What are you talking about?
2: A man. A man who came to see me. Who let him in? Elizabeth.
8: Elizabeth! Come here. Elizabeth.
2: Did some, Mr. Ant?
8: Come in here, Elizabeth. Who was the man who came here while I was out?
2: A man? What man, sir?
8: Come, come, Elizabeth. You must have answered the door.
2: No one was here, sir. No one. Elizabeth, you saw him. You opened the door yourself. No, ma'am. I didn't see anyone at all. But he, he was... He was here. I, I know it. I, I, I saw him.
8: You see how it is, Elizabeth? Yes,
2: sir. I see just how it but is. But I, I couldn't have dreamed it. I couldn't have... Di- no, did I dream? Did I really dream?
8: Yes, Paula, you dream all day long.
2: All that happened?
8: All that did not happen.
2: Oh, then it is true, my mind is going.
8: Haven't I told you, Paula? Take
2: me away now, I can't fight it anymore. Yes, Paula, I will. Take me away, take me
4: away. And was I any part of this curious dream of yours, Mrs. Anton? You! Perhaps my presence may help you recall your dream. Who the devil are you? Only a figment of your wife's imagination. How did you get into this house? Down the attic stairs, Mr. Anton, the same way you did. Mrs. Anton, don't you think you'd better go to your room? You must be very tired. Don't you think you'd better explain your business? As a mere ghost existing only in your wife's mind, I could hardly be said to have any business. Paula, go to your room. No. Please, Mrs. Anton. All right, I'll go. Those jewels, I see you found them after all, Sergius Bauer. I'm afraid I don't know your name. Cameron, shall I tell you my business address also? No, I think I can guess it. So we've both ended our search tonight. Where were the jewels?
8: Sold in one of her costumes. The dress she wore in your place, Theodora. How clever she was to conceal them there.
4: Four priceless jewels among a lot of paste imitations. How does it feel, Bauer, to have planned and killed and tortured for something then to find it's all been for nothing? For nothing? Oh no. I don't think so.
8: Not for nothing. Put on that gun! <laughs>
2: And he ran up the stairs, the master. He ran to the attic, ma'am, and the gentleman after him. They're up there now. They're fighting. Oh. I've got to get help, ma'am. But who? Oh, Mr. Williams. The constable, Mr. Williams. I'll fetch you, ma'am. Don't worry. I'll fetch him right away. You
0: sure you're all right, Mr. Cameron, sir?
4: I'll, I'll feel a little better as soon as I finish tying Mr. Bower to this chair. Gregory. Mrs. Anton. You, you shouldn't have come up here. <clears throat>
2: I want to speak to my husband.
4: Do you believe me now?
2: Please, I want to speak to him alone.
8: I assure you I'm quite helpless, Mr. Cameron. Please. Come, Williams. We'll be waiting <clears throat> on the stairs. Voila. Go and see if he's listening.
2: He's not listening.
8: He told you a lot of things about me, didn't he? Yes. They were lies. Because he's in love with you. I can feel it.
2: Can you? Can you really, Gregory? Or shall I call you surgeon? Oh,
8: oh, oh, so, so he told you that too. Well, uh, have you never heard of an artist taking a stage name? They don't hang a man for that, do they?
2: No, they won't hang a man for that.
8: Paula. Paula, do you remember our first days was together? Do you remember Italy? Lake Como.
2: There have been times when I thought I only dreamed those days.
8: Come closer, Paula. Look into my eyes. Paula, if I ever meant anything to you and I believe I did. Then help me, Paula. Give me another chance.
2: Gregory. Look.
8: In the door of that cupboard there is a knife. Get it, Paula, and cut me free. Here? Yes, yes, yes. The first
2: door. I'll find it,
8: Gregory. Be quick, Paula. Hurry.
2: But there's no knife here.
8: Hmm? Yes, yes. I, I, I put it there tonight. Yes, that's it. Now,
2: now bring it here. I have no knife, Gregory. You must have dreamed you put it there. Put it. Are you suggesting this is a knife in my hand? Have you gone mad, my husband? Hola. Or is it I who am mad? I'm always losing things, hiding things. Oh, that was a knife, wasn't it? And I threw it on the floor. I have lost.
8: No. Paula, Paula,
2: oh. it is there. Pick it up. I must look for it, mustn't I? If I don't find it, you'll put me in the madhouse. No. Now, where could it be now? Behind this trunk? No. No, <clears throat> oh, no, perhaps over here. I'm trying to help you, aren't I? Trying to help you to escape. But how can a mad woman help her husband to escape
8: her? you're not mad. You're not.
2: Yes, I am, as my mother was mad. No, no,
8: no, no Paula, that, that wasn't true. Pick up the knife. Please help me.
2: If I were not mad, I could have helped you. Whatever you had done, mm. I could have pitied you and protected you. But because I'm mad, I hate you. Because I'm mad, I betrayed you. And because I'm mad, I'm rejoicing in my heart without a shred of pity, without a shred of regret. Come, Mr. Cameron, take this man away.
4: You're ready, Bauer? Quite ready. Untie his feet, William.
8: I don't ask you to understand me, Paula. Between us all the time where the jewels, like a fire. A fire in my brain that separated us. Those jewels which I wanted all my life.
2: I, I don't know why. The cab is coming, Mr. Cameron. Goodbye, Paula. Goodbye, Gregory.
4: I'll be down in a minute, Williams.
2: Oh, this will be a long night.
4: But it will end. In the morning when the sun rises, sometimes it's hard to believe there ever was a night. You,
3: you'll find that too. I shall try. And that was Gaslight from the Lux Radio Theatre starring Ingrid Bergman and Charles Boyer. Great stuff. Anyway, thank you for joining me this week. I shall return next week for more old movie talk. Until then, enjoy the weather. Take very good care of yourselves. And bye for now.
1: You're waiting for you to call me. Okay, keep, keep waiting. I will keep waiting.
3: If you'd like to support this show, you can do so by going to www.attaboyclarence.com and clicking on the Patreon banner. Pledges start from as little as $1 a month, and in return you'll receive exclusive emails, bonus episodes, previews, and e-books, and every dollar pledged goes towards making these shows better and more frequent. Go to www.attaboyclarence.com or click the link in the show notes now to become a patron. Thank
1: you.
2: BDW Group, no purchase necessary, avoid where prohibited by law, see terms and conditions 18 plus.